Hey, welcome to the Afikra Community Podcast. This series features a presentation every single episode given by a member of the Afikra community. Every single one of these people, you should know, is not an expert in what they are talking about, but rather they are driven by their authentic curiosity to learn something new about the Arab world, its histories and its cultures. Each one of these presentations is the product of the person going through our workshop series, finding a topic that they're curious about, honing that question with us, and developing it into a compelling presentation. Some of these are long presentations, about 45 minutes, and some of them are what we call African Forwards, where they're simply recommending something for you to check out. The goal is to highlight scholarship that already exists, to celebrate it, and to learn. I hope you enjoy it. If you're interested in learning more, go to africa.com slash library. Thanks. Hope you enjoy this episode. So my name is Muhammad. Um, I'm based in Boston. And um, I know this says Boston Volume 2. Um, we've done a few virtually, but uh, we are hoping to have one in person in Boston at the Boston chapter. So if you're in the area in New England, um, kind of keep your eyes open for the upcoming event. Um, the title of my feature today is uh, Baghdad, Ancient uh, World Food Capital. Um, and uh, we'll dive right in. So uh, what led me to this topic? Um, obviously, I like to eat. Uh, I think this is a common theme uh, in kind of the Arab world. Um, and I was always interested in where foods came from, right? Uh, not who invented hummus or who makes a better hummus, but more kind of what was the origin or why do we do things in a certain way? Um, living in the U.S., uh, we have a lot of ethnic and immigrant food that becomes uh, American food. Uh, so I was always kind of curious um, how in the Arab world we have all these kind of influences that contribute to the way we eat our food um, and kind of where it came from and how, how it came about today. Um, I'm always curious what people eat around the world, uh, even a simple dish like hummus uful in the different parts of the Arab world. Uh, some people atahine, some people eat it with onions, some people mash it, food uh, madamas. So uh, I always was curious about learning about them, but also trying them. Uh, and really the thing that kind of uh, nudged me forward was this book that I purchased called uh, Metropolis. Uh, so it's a very interesting book. It talks about cities in general, uh, the urbanized city and uh, what each city um, or each um, city historically has contributed to the cities that we have today, right? Uh, whether it's transportation, urban planning. And there was a section about food and gastropolis. And the focus of that chapter was actually Baghdad. Um, and then if you're familiar, there's a Lebanese historian whose name is Charles Hayek, uh, who has an account called Heritage and Roots. Uh, I've heard him talk a few times, and he always references this book called Kitab al-Tabikh, or Kitab al-Tabikh. Um, and uh, it piqued my interest to have something from that long ago that preserves and talks about uh, food uh, back in the day. So that's what kind of led me to this. Um, on the right-hand side, I just have two images. Uh, I like puns, and these are about food. Uh, from the local bakery uh, about the importance of being needed and how the, the pan is mightier than the sword. So um, before I get started, I just wanted to reiterate, Maha um, went through this, but uh, if you're new to Africa, I'm not an expert, but I promise I tried to learn as much as I could to satisfy my curiosity about this topic. Um, someone in the audience may know more than me about this topic. So please kind of uh, correct me, ask questions and contribute. Um, please do so nicely. Uh, I'm not trying to persuade you of my agenda or convince you to take action. My only hope is that the presentation might kind of cultivate your own curiosities. So uh, with the feature, there's always a question and I tried to frame the question um, as, as shown, two questions actually. Uh, so why did Baghdad emerge as the gastro capital of the ancient world? 
Um, and why did they produce so many cookbooks during that era? So it seems like food was a, a big uh, part of it at the time. Uh, just a brief outline before we get started. So we'll start off with kind of setting the tone. Uh, what's the era we're looking at? I talk the ancient world. When am I referring to? So we'll talk about the Abbasid dynasty. Uh, we'll talk about Baghdad's golden age, um, when it kind of came to prominence and when this stuff's happening. Uh, section three, I'll talk about I eat, therefore I am. Um, four, lead by example. Five, the paper market. And six, we'll talk about the source, uh, the kitab uh, that, I'm, uh, that I'm referring to. Uh, throughout the presentation. All right, so the first slide is to kind of um, set the scene, right? So we're gonna dial the clock back to the Abbasid dynasty. So uh, around 1850 uh, AD, this is a picture of what the world looked like uh, in the Near East, the Middle East. Um, the, they call it the Abbasid Khalifa or the Abbasid dynasty um, or empire. Uh, as you can see, they kind of, the stretch of the empire covered the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, the Gulf states, uh, Iraq, Iran, uh, portions of Central Asia, uh, portions of modern day Turkey, uh, and then North Africa, including Egypt, Tunisia. Uh, so they do kind of uh, control a big portion of what at the time was the center of the world. Um, who are the Abbasids? Uh, they were kind of the second um, Khalifa after the Umayyads. Uh, they emerged in around 1750, 1751 uh, with a revolution um, and they kind of took over from the Umayyads. Uh, one thing they did was they relocated the capital of uh, the Khalifa from uh, Damascus to Baghdad. Um, and the way they differ from the Umayyads was uh, the Umayyads were predominantly Arab. Um, the Abbasids ruled include a lot more converts. Uh, and so kind of the stretch of the empire is becoming more and more diverse. Uh, not that it didn't before, but uh, the sources and the books I was looking at uh, said that this was one of the things that kind of uh, differentiated them from uh, previous rule. Um, the rise and fall. So the new rulers um, kind of differed from the Umayyads in that they established strong ties with East Africa, which becomes more and more Arab with time. Uh, the conflict with the Byzantines uh, is ongoing. Uh, we all know that eventually this becomes uh, something the Seljuks and the Ottomans take up and uh, kind of take over um, Constantinople and becomes modern day Istanbul. Um, and then three of the most famous rulers um, are Al-Mansur, uh, Harun al-Rashid, which I'm sure everyone's heard of, and Al-Ma'mun. Um, if you're familiar with Arab culture, uh, we like titles. Uh, so these are not actually their names. These are their, uh, their Al-Khab or their titles. So the victorious um, Harun al-Rashid is known in the Western world as Aaron the Just, uh, or just the guided, and Ma'mun the trusted. Um, so these are names that we even see to today and are covered in kind of our history lessons. Um, and finally, the, the fall of the empire was um, marked specifically with the Mongol invasion of Baghdad. So a picture on the right shows the siege of Baghdad. Uh, it shows kind of the walls of the city. And here you'll see in this wood kind of triangle structure, this is a siege engine. Uh, so it's like a batter ram that they use to kind of take down the walls and take over. Uh, the Mongolians were known for kind of their prowess in terms of sieging and taking over cities. And that happened around uh, 1258. So now that we've kind of set the scene of what a time frame we're looking at, let's start talking about why Baghdad's becoming more and more uh, prominent and, and powerful and wealthy and how this leads to answer our question about why it became kind of the foodie capital of the world. Uh, so Al-Mansur, uh, like we talked about, he relocated um, 
the capital to Baghdad. And he kind of loved knowledge and intellect, and he, he championed that. Uh, not only him, but kind of his predecessors kind of took on the same approach to life. And uh, this fostered Baghdad to become a center for art, science, philosophy, literature. It kind of became a melting pot of the, the place to be, right, uh, with all these different cultures. Um, this is uh, kind of a depiction on the bottom, on the top right of what Baghdad looked like. Uh, back in the day, this big dome in the center of the city, and then three walls that encircled uh, what, what's referred to as the circular city. So actually, this was one of the first planned cities. Um, the city had four gates that pierced through three walls. Um, I have them listed here. So the Kufa gate is in the southwest, uh, the Basra gate in the southeast, the Sham gate in the north, uh, northwest, and the Khursan Gate in the Northeast. And these kind of refer to the different directions you can go from Baghdad, right? So you can go down to Basra to, to uh, access the uh, Persian Gulf and eventually the Indian Ocean, or you can go Northwest uh, to Bilad al-Sham. Um, and the golden era, obviously there's rise and falls and ebbs and flows with the rule, uh, but the golden era that we're referring to is 1775 to 1861. This is kind of uh, when all the action happens. Uh, and the bottom right is as kind of a, a rebuild of, of what those um, gates look like. So why did they choose Baghdad? Um, it was an ideal location that um, he picked because it was kind of between the Tigris and the Euphrates, um, kind of where they get close together uh, so that they could use canals and channels to connect both of them. Uh, they're kind of navigable uh, rivers. Um, they also were on the crossroad between kind of east and west, north and south. Uh, so back in the day, the Silk Road kind of went along that route. So Baghdad was a good stopping point. Uh, if you were coming through uh, through the Arabian Peninsula, through the Persian Gulf, uh, Basra, and then you, if you were traveling north to Europe or to Russia, uh, this was kind of a good uh, stopping point as well. Um, at the time, they dominated um, seafaring trade. So they had kind of good access to the sea as well. Um, this is the era where the West wants spices and all these uh, exotic ingredients from the East. So there is a lot of trade going back and forth and it contributes to building a lot of wealth, right? So uh, there's a middle class, uh, people have more and more money to spend on, on their free time and other kind of pleasures in life. Uh, with uh, kind of the new establishment and the new rulers, uh, they established something called uh, the House of Wisdom or the Grand Library of Baghdad. So we're seeing more and more intellect and culture and people kind of documenting and codifying. Um, the era is also known for kind of advancements in math. Um, if you guys are familiar with Khawarizmi's books, uh, his name lends its um, title to what we refer today as Al-Jabr and algorithms. Uh, at the same time, we have the 1001 Nights, Majnun Layla, uh, Mutanabbi's poetry. So this is really kind of a golden era uh, in addition to other advancements in science, law, optics, and philosophy. And I'm not getting into all of them. This is kind of just showing you that the, the city at the time is the center of the empire and it's kind of um, bustling with all this activity um, and it's creating a lot of interest. So we talked about what era we're referring to, how Baghdad is popular and it's kind of the center of everything right now. Uh, chapter three is about why food. And I title this as I eat, therefore I am. 
because one thing the books note that was different about this kind of dynasty uh, and the Abbasids was the approach of food was not considered a sin or something that was bad. So consuming good food and luxurious food was considered kind of a legitimate source of pleasure, something you can indulge in that was not frowned upon in society. So obviously uh, it's encouraged. Um, in addition, food was considered kind of a source of physical regeneration. So uh, if you're not feeling well, or if you're feeling sick, you, uh, sick uh, or you can't use the restroom, food was uh, borderline medicine uh, that could help you. Um, and there was different types of foods that were considered kind of helpful in not only curing illness, but also preventing illness uh, based on how you cook it and how you prepare it. Um, I have a picture of just kind of um, some illustrations from the book that show a cook shop in a busy market in, in Baghdad. Um, and then kind of leading by example. Um, so the picture in the background is actually an image or a European uh, painting of Harun Rashid uh, receiving uh, one of the um, uh, emissaries from Charlemagne in Europe. Um, so the folks who are ruling at the time are very powerful and have a lot of influence and are highly regarded in society. And they kind of encourage people to pursue knowledge and literature, but they also encourage people to eat food and good food. Um, so they have their own recipes, how they like their own food cooked, uh, but they're sharing this, right? They're writing their own book, cookbooks, or they're paying people to basically compile different cookbooks for them uh, to document what they like, uh, how they like it served. Uh, and we'll look later on, there's a lot of recipes that say um, how Harun al-Rashid likes his desserts or his uh, bitinjian cooked, right? Um, which is interesting. And, and this is kind of, um, something I guess we know with most empires and their rulers that they like food, but this is one change where we see them kind of uh, codify it and start to encourage it with their population. And uh, one thing that the book talks about, and I wish I had more information about this, but uh, Al-Ma'moon and two other sons of Harun Rashid actually have cooking competitions and they compete in them themselves. Um, so not like a hot dog eating competition, but almost like a food contest, which I think is very uh, neat. Um, the picture on the right just shows kind of a scene of a tavern, uh, people eating. Um, and we get more information about kind of the prominence of the message coming from the top with the cookbooks that we look at, right? So the cookbooks uh, reference recipes from across society, right? Uh, we have the ruling class, the princes, the khalifas, uh, their family, uh, fathers and brothers and half brothers, grandchildren, but also the military, right? So military commanders or, or doctors and physicians, singers and poets. Um, so it's really a hodgepodge of kind of everyone and what they like to eat. Um, I tried to include a picture of Harun Rashid, but this is kind of the best I could get. Uh, it's kind of depictions that we have. And it's from uh, one of the Arabian Nights translations. And uh, if you're not familiar, most people believe that Harun Rashid is kind of the figure that's referred to in the Arabian Nights or the 1001 Nights. Um, another thing that helps kind of contribute. So we talk about, we have more wealth, the empire is flourishing. Uh, the, the ruling class is encouraging people to eat and it's something that's kind of uh, uh, encouraged, not frowned upon. Uh, but another big uh, change is uh, the paper market, right? Uh, so back in the day, people used to write on papyrus or on parchment. Um, but uh, Baghdad actually adopts paper making from China in the eighth century. And this has a lot of advantages over uh, traditional parchment because 
it doesn't crack as easily. Uh, it absorbs the ink much better um, and it's more durable. Um, this helps kind of uh, make it easier to duplicate, create more manuscripts. We talked about the libraries. So now people can make more and more books and kind of sell them to people who have more and more money to spend. Uh, Harun Rashid also is uh, kind of pushes something where he requires uh, paper forms for official government business. Uh, it's, it helps kind of people avoid being duped and documenting things kind of like, uh, uh, so people can't argue and say, that's not what I agreed to or, or um, uh, what we kind of decided on. And uh, this kind of leads to paper mills being um, established across the city um, in kind of mass, and they start producing uh, mass paper, which is heavy duty, and it leads to a new industry, right? So now there's people buying and selling and trading in books and in paper, uh, and li libraries kind of pop up um, all over the city. So this contributes to the, the cookbooks, right? So people can write books about everything now, but you like food, we have food competitions, we have money to spend on good foods. Um, we can also write about them. Um, and on the flip side, we have people to sell them too, right? So the middle class has the wealth to spend on books, whether it's uh, they're interested about philosophy or astronomy or poetry, but also if they wanna learn how to make the eggplant that Harun Rashid loves and swears by, they can now kind of buy it, right? Um, common folks usually ate out. Uh, and it was expensive to cook at home. And this is something that I think even until the modern day in the Arab world was true. There was a communal oven that people took their, their food to, to cook. Uh, but obviously, if you had the, the means, you could establish it at home. Um, the culture of entertaining and having kind of guests over and preparing food for them continues to grow. Um, so this new money in town wants to replicate the food at home that the, the rich are doing and entertain their family and friends and dignitaries, uh, but at the same time, they don't know how. So if someone's writing about how to prepare those recipes, um, there's a big market for it. Uh, what the book also talks about, which I find interesting, is um, if you wanted to be a person of status in society, uh, producing a cookbook or producing recipes and being well-versed in how to entertain and how to cook and prepare different foods uh, was kind of a sign of status. Um, which I think is very interesting because uh, we think about knowledge and religion and intellect as being things that kind of showcase you as a prominent member of society. But in this case, it's also food, uh, which contributes uh, to kind of answering the question I'm asking. Um, and finally, the, the book itself kind of gives us a lot of insight in terms of um, why uh, why was food so popular, right? Um, so we'll talk a bit about this and I call it the cookbook um, because it, it really is kind of uh, a massive source that we refer to. And I, I looked through this a lot. It, uh, I have it behind me and I'll show you guys later. It's thousands of pages. Uh, the person who wrote the book, uh, this is kind of a, co a copy of the translation uh, that I purchased. Uh, it's written by Abu Muhammad al-Muzaffir ibn Nasir ibn Sayyar al-Warraq. Um, it's his full name. If you're from the region, it's, it's typical to have an extended name this way. Uh, but what's curious is his, uh, his pen name, Al-Warra, refers to him as someone who's prominent in the paper market. Remember, so we talked about that you can buy and sell paper now. You can um, kind of make a living off of it. And we don't know specifically what his job was, but he kind of gives himself this nickname. Uh, the book was published in 1961 AD, 
Uh, so remember I was talking about the golden eras, kind of mid 700 to mid 800. Uh, so this is a bit after that, but before before the fall of um, uh, the empire itself. So the empire eventually fractures into the Mamluks, the Fatimids, the Seljuks, and uh, eventually the, the Ottomans. So this is kind of at the tail end, but before the Mongols take over. But uh, the Abbasid Khalifa is kind of facing a lot of conflict, and it's starting to splinter and fracture and have a lot of people uh, challenge it uh, to power. Uh, so the book alludes to the fact that maybe this book was written at towards the end or the, the downward slope of the empire, to kind of document um, the brilliance of the food at the time. Um, it has 132 chapters or a web, and he has over 615 recipes. Um, he didn't actually write all the recipes, but he did compile them. So he had about different, 20 different cookbooks, uh, but a lot more sources. And we talked about them before, whether they're Khalifas or their relatives, uh, sometimes in-laws or moms or daughters, uh, who had a good recipe he included in there as well. And for each dish, sometimes there is multiple recipes. So uh, we'll look at some examples later. Um, so I have two excerpts here. Uh, the one on the left-hand side is for ajje, or kind of uh, omelet discs. And uh, you can see he refers to, this is obviously the translation, but uh, it shows you kind of who he got uh, the recipe from. Uh, if, if you have the chance, definitely check the book out because it has a lot of resources. You see there's a lot of kind of uh, footnotes here. Uh, what I think is interesting at the time, too, is after every recipe, there is an inshallah. So there's a God willing at the end of every single recipe that's provided. Um, uh, you'll see another recipe here for uh, the omelet recipe with pungent green onions and an omelet recipe with fava beans. So kind of still similar stuff we eat, uh, but kind of done in different ways. Um, then there's uh, making cold dishes, bowed of vegetables. And the first recipe here is kind of uh, eggplant, uh, dressed eggplant, egg so jen uh, mashi by uh, Ibn al-Mahdi. So again, reference to some big names who are kind of giving these recipes out. Um, this is the cover of the, the book translation. Uh, and here's another recipe for what they call laqanik or intestine sausages. So I grew up, knowing na'anit or ma'anit. Uh, so these are kind of uh, dishes that we still prepare today. Um, the book's audience. So we talked about the fact that we have a wealthy middle class, uh, we're prospering. Um, we have a lot of papers and books being published. People want the means, uh, have the means, sorry, but don't have the know-how for how to make these foods. Um, but we don't know who told them to write this book, but we can tell several reasons that we can infer, and this is what the book talks about, alludes to why they think he wrote the book, right? We talked about him trying to preserve or document uh, the empire's kind of rise and fall through food. Um, but he also kind of wanted to anth uh, anthologize the celebrated uh, best cuisine. Um, if you look through the book, he has a lot of different chapters uh, for what monks eat or what uh, different people in the empire eat as well. And remember how we talked about it's kind of a melting pot now. So it's not just predominantly Arab. So there's people from ancient Mesopotamia, from Central Asia, from East Africa. So there's all these people kind of contributing to the food and he wants to kind of create an anthology of it. Uh, he's also trying to demystify the cuisine, right? So he's explaining it in simple terms so people know kind of how do you cut, how do you salt, how do you um, fry? 
all these different foods. Um, but beyond that, it's kind of telling people how to live their life uh, through food and how to be healthy about it. Uh, the book starts off with the basics of kitchen utensils and ingredients um, and how to use them. Uh, but it then starts to talk about the humoral properties of food. Uh, we know kind of in modern day that some of the stuff may or may not be true. Uh, but he talks about cold foods or hot foods or acidic foods. And it's interesting because he'll say if you're a grumpy person or if you get angry easily, then uh, don't eat eggplant unless you fry it and add lemon to it, uh, which I think is entertaining to see that they went to that effort to kind of study uh, what you should eat based on your temperament. Uh, and then obviously how to avoid harm that food may cause, what foods not to eat if you have certain conditions, and then uh, how to kind of prepare them so that they don't go, go bad and how to store them. Uh, this is a picture on the right of them preparing this dish, which I've never heard of, but it's basically chicken being rotated on a spit. Uh, the book also gets into snacks and cold dishes, uh, stove prepared foods, stews, uh, outdoor cooking on, on the tanur uh, and drinks. Um, and they also include alcoholic drinks, which I think is interesting, um, given uh, the predominant Muslim uh, empire. So he does kind of include what everyone's eating. Uh, so here are a few more uh, recipes. Uh, the one on the right shows kind of the different uh, medicinal ingredients and how they're prepared. This is kind of just a depiction of, of a few of them. Uh, and then the one on the left is actually the atayif that uh, uh, basically we eat today. Uh, I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Uh, I cut off the rest because it, it was too much to show, but there's uh, atayif made for Harun al-Rashid. So if you want to eat like a sultan, uh, you can get this book and kind of uh, see how he liked to eat them. Um, the book doesn't just talk about food. We talked about that a tiny bit, but it goes even further. It talks about hygiene, how you wash your hands, uh, teeth hygiene, how you kind of pick your teeth before or after eating. Um, and it kind of gives you etiquette, right? How do you entertain dignitaries? How do you kind of keep them entertained and um, kind of spoil them with the food? Uh, there's an entire chapter about napping after a meal, which I think is, is very, very entertaining. Uh, and there's also a chapter about exercising before food and its, its benefits. So uh, I think that's a, uh, a great part of it as well. And the picture on the right is just kind of a host uh, entertaining his guests. Um, so on the left, I'm showing an example of a laxative, so msahil, that's made uh, a laxative salt that's used to kind of help people use the restroom. Uh, and below it, um, there's actually a verse. Uh, there's a lot of poetry in the book. So I think it's really entertaining. You're telling someone how to make kind of a laxative, but then you're kind of uh, talking about it in a poetic form. Um, the picture on the right is a hand washing machine. Uh, so we talked about the importance of that, but uh, that's kind of something that he talks about as well. Um, and the book involves a lot of kind of uh, artistry. So I mentioned in the slide before about poetry. There's a lot of poems that he includes about the foods and the dishes, uh, but he also kind of provides stories, anecdotes about the history of the food and the origin of the dish and its name. Some sultan who went on some uh, trip to fight some enemy and he was super hungry. So the uh, the person preparing the, the chef preparing the food didn't have time. So he quickly fried the meat and the onions and served it to him. It became his his favorite dish, right? Uh, but there's also stories about not being greedy and being generous with your food. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. It starts off as a cookbook, but kind of talks about a lot more. 
Um, so this is a poem. It says, sit at dinner tables as long as you can and converse to your, to your heart's desire, for these are the bonus times of our life. So applies to today as well. Uh, and here are a few examples. I know we're uh, kind of getting close to time, but um, it's talking about how to make uh, sliced and braised bread meat. Uh, but it starts off uh, about kind of why the dish was named uh, so, or the origin of it. Uh, and this is another one. Um, it sees, it starts off, it's saying, um, here's the story behind naming this dish. It said one of the Persian kings used to travel with his troops. I'm not going to read it, but obviously it's telling the story, which is uh, very, very interesting. Um, so these are a few of the sources I used. There, there was a lot. This is the book Metropolis and the cookbook itself. But uh, just kind of to wrap up, um, we saw that kind of the people who ruled uh, made uh, the empire rich and produced a new middle class who had money to spend on cookbooks. And it was something that was encouraged from the top down uh, for intellect and everything else, but food in specific. And it was kind of a mark of status. And so people started uh, cooking at home and entertaining and um, buying cookbooks to learn how to do it, but also making their own cookbooks so they can kind of show off to friends. Um, there's a lot of really interesting sources. Uh, this will be made available, Baghdad and the Silk Road, um, Stories of the City. So the birth of Baghdad was a landmark for world civilization. Uh, the story of Islam's gift to the, uh, of paper to the West. Uh, we talked about uh, taking the technology from China. Uh, what I didn't talk about was that's how it makes its way into, into Europe through Landeros. Um, and that's it for me. Um, thank you guys so much for, for listening. And if you have any questions, um, you can reach out to me on Instagram as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Four quick final notes. The first is, if you feel like watching this presentation in video form, look us up on YouTube, subscribe, hit that bell, do all that good stuff. Second is, if you ever feel like attending these events, we have them every Saturday, and you can find out more information at afikta.com slash RSVP. The third is, if you feel like developing a community presentation, we have workshops that are free and open to all every two weeks. You can go to afikta.com slash workshop. And the fourth is that our work is made possible by the hundreds of people around the world who are inspired by our work and want to build this movement. Please consider becoming one of them and supporting our, our work at afikta.com slash support. Thanks so much. Have a great day and see you next time.